Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, man, it has been uh, a crazy few months, and I'm not going to lie, it's been a crazy uh, 24 hours. Um, you know, it's uh, time change Sunday, which is always a little bit confusing. And honestly, like, isn't it just like 2020 to give us just like an extra hour of this year? Uh, I mean, it's just like not quite what we asked for, like one more hour of 2020, but yet here we are. Uh, it is, uh, it's fun to be here. It's fun to uh, navigate power outages and, uh, and all kinds of different little hiccups that happen on a Sunday morning. For those of you that are watching at home, I hope that your coffee has brewed and your kids are quiet and, uh, and that you guys are able just to be relaxed and hang out with with us. We're starting a brand new series today uh, called Separation of Church and Hate. And what we're doing is we're taking today, the Sunday before the election, and we're taking uh, next Sunday, the Sunday after the election. And we're going to spend some specific time talking about what does it look like as uh, for those of us that are Jesus followers, uh, as a church, as Christians, how do we navigate this time together? Uh, South Hills Costa Mesa started in February of 2017. Um, so it was just a few months after the 2016 elections and that whole election cycle. It wasn't intentional, but in retrospect, it had a lot of advantages because politics were a topic of conversation, but they weren't the topic of conversation. And then as years have passed, you know, we have, uh, we've weathered a few different storms socially. There's been uh, literal storms, just kind of nature has been crazy. There's been cultural challenges. Um, there have been racial uh, storms. But over the last 10 months, um, there has just been an entirely different reality as we navigate this kind of current political climate. And, you know, you guys that are sitting in the room may be like feeling yourselves like tighten up a little bit, even as I just kind of start to bring about this topic. Uh, I don't even know if you're still watching online now, now that you know what we're talking, you're like, oh, I'm out. What's on Netflix, you know? Um, but the reality is, is that we have all seen this happen. Um, I'm, and it's, it's been intense. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that has been told that I can't be a Christian and vote Democrat. But I've also been told I can't be a Christian and vote Republican. Um, and both of these were from my aunt. Uh, I think she just might not think I'm a Christian. Uh, it's kind of at the core of it. Uh, it doesn't matter where you fall, which side you lean towards. And I know that there are other political parties um, involved, but we're not talking about Kanye today. Um, it doesn't really matter where you fall. There is just this same reality that there are attacks and there are um, dogmatic things that are being said, just blanket statements about people, and none of us have been able to escape it. And most of us, in one way or another, whether it's intentional or not, have somehow participated in it as well. And here's the thing. I try not to talk about politics at church. Uh, I try not to even talk about religion at church, uh, but sometimes that's a little bit easier. Um, some people feel like Jesus wasn't political at all, and others feel like Jesus said a lot about politics, but here's what I know. Here's what I know is true. Whenever Jesus taught on something or spoke about something that intersected with a cultural discussion, 
uh, whenever it intersects with a cultural topic, something that society is divided against, it polarizes political parties. Regardless of whether the issue is political, they have all been claimed by politics. And so when we look at Jesus' teachings, oftentimes it's really easy to kind of draw these lines to Republican or to Democrat or to this or to that, conservative, progressive, whatever it might be. But, but oftentimes Jesus was just speaking to cultural issues, and those issues have been commandeered by our current political parties in an incredibly polarizing way. Political parties are divided on all these issues, and division is something that Jesus specifically did talk about. And nothing divides like politics. Nothing divides like politics because nothing divides like fear. And fear is what drives so much of the political conversations. Fear is what drives many people just in general. But you can get a lot of attention. You can, you can move people to action. You can raise a lot of money by peddling fear. I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten over the last few months that said, if I donate $25, I will save our country. Uh, It's just my one simple $25 donation to this party or to that candidate or whatever it is, that's going to be the thing that we're we're all going to be okay. Uh, There's a a fear that kind of comes along, these these fear-based slogans that we've seen, we've heard, Republicans are trying to take away your vote. Democrats are trying to take away your guns. If the president is reelected, it's the end of the world. If, if a socialist Democrat is elected, it's the end of the world. Um, just all of these angry, fear-based statements that are being used to move us in a direction. And the direction is never intended to be moving us towards Jesus. It's intended to be moving us to a side to a choice, to a party, to a platform, to a candidate. We're all trying to prevent something, and it's the thing that we are all afraid of. And the thing that we're trying to prevent, the thing that we fear is loss. Loss shows up in so many different ways, in our hearts, in our relationships, in our lives, in our businesses. We're afraid of the loss of control. We fear the loss of opportunity. We fear the loss of wealth. We fear the loss of our culture. We fear the loss of our freedoms. We fear the loss of our history. We fear the loss of our progress. We fear the loss of our preferences. These fears, the fear of losing these things is driving so many of us uh, forward, driving so many of us forward, and we oftentimes don't even think about what the cost of that is, what the cost of that forward movement is, or where we will end up. Different people are afraid of different things, but fear causes all of us to do and to say all kinds of crazy things. And you've seen it. We've all been, well, maybe not. Some of you guys may be smarter than I have. Uh, I've been online over the last few months. Uh, I've seen a lot of things online, uh, read a lot of things, seen a lot of videos. I mean, there's all kinds of different stuff. And it's not just online. It's on the news. It's in the newspaper and magazines. It's in the music that we listen to. It is in uh, the TV shows that we watch. Um, it shows up all over the place. People that we're close with, reacting in ways we never would have expected. Not necessarily because of what they believe, but because of how they expressed what they believe. 
It's not necessarily what they believed that was divisive. It's how they communicated what they believed. Uh, there was something about the, the conversation or the, the social media post that was obviously angry or condemning or condescending. And their approach, their response felt fearful. It felt kind of primal at its core. You needed to know exactly now how they stand and how you are wrong. And how you can be right if you choose to be. We have all felt this. We have all experienced this. It's, it's everywhere and it's doing a lot of damage. People are turning their backs on lifelong friendships and family members and spiritual communities. People are blocking each other and not just on social media. Like literally just people are cutting people out of their lives based off of their political party or their political affiliation. Um, it's, it's brutal. Uh, I have experienced some of these pains even in my own relationships and even here in this church. People's willingness to cut ties because of differences hurts every time. And this is even more confusing to us when the person who disagrees with us is also a Christian. When they say that they're a Jesus follower and how obviously they disagree with us. And now I'm not saying it's always about the other person because we know that we disagree with a lot of people also and we, we communicate these things. But I think that we have all experienced this, this idea. You know, wait, who, who are you backing? Who are you voting for? I thought you were a Christian. Shouldn't all Christians be on the same page politically? Shouldn't we all feel the same way? Some of you may have grown up in a church uh, like I did. I, I grew up in churches where oftentimes on uh, Sundays, I remember this as a kid, they would give out a, um, a piece of paper that would tell everybody who to vote for the Sunday before the election. Um, you guys can grab yours on your way out this morning. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, just kidding. It's digital now, obviously. Just kidding, guys. I got to do something here. Um, maybe you thought, you know, well, my, my political views don't stem from fear. My political views stem from my faith. That's why I'm a Republican, because of my faith. That's why I'm a Democrat, because of my faith. That's why I'm a Libertarian, because of my, we, we find ourselves in this place, of, well, it's my faith that makes me be this way. And I think that what is so important for us to understand is that while we should always vote based on our faith as Jesus followers, we can never, ever align the church with a political party. We should vote based on our faith, but we cannot say because uh, of my faith, this party is always correct. I mean, if you really want to think about our country, it is a fairly young country. There's actually, I was looking online, there is a, a Wikipedia page dedicated to all of the defunct political parties from the last few hundred years. We cannot put our faith in bed and say that because I am a Christian, this is the right party. We can say because of my faith in Jesus, this is how I feel compelled to vote, but we cannot align these two things. There are aspects of each party and platform and candidate that can align with our faith, and there are deeply flawed, broken, and human aspects of them as well. Political parties are temporary, but the church of Christ will never fail, and the church of Christ has to have, God has to have our first allegiance. We serve a king 
and we are called to bring in a kingdom that is not of this world. This is where our first priorities have got to lie. There, there's something called Miles Law, and it, this law it says this. It says, where you stand depends on where you sit. Where you stand depends on where you sit. In other words, kind of your, your cultural context determines your perspective, Uh, Your view of culture, your view of society, your view of life, it defines a lot of your perspective of of how you believe and and what you would vote for and, and what you might be motivated by. Our political views and our values are shaped by where we live, how we were raised, where we were educated, what we've been told, what we've seen, what we've experienced, what we have seen others experience. And all of this begs the question, can Christians disagree with one another politically and still love each other unconditionally? Can we, can we disagree politically and love each other unconditionally? And I got to be honest, it doesn't feel like it. Uh, this year has not bred a ton of hope for me. Um, and I don't know if you guys feel that way. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. Um, before we dive into that question, we have to answer this one. Are we willing to evaluate our politics through the filter of our faith rather than create a version of faith that supports your politics? Are we willing to put our faith first and evaluate our politics through that lens? Are we willing to follow Jesus even when doing so creates space between me and my party's platform, or if it creates a distance between me and my party's candidate? Am I willing to submit my politics to my king, God? Am I willing to apply Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7, the teaching about, you know, before you point out the speck in, in your brother's eye, get the log out of your own eye? Am I willing to apply that teaching that concept to my own political party? And am I willing to to look at my party and say, man, we've got some issues. We don't have it all figured out. Here are the flaws in this platform. Here are the flaws in this party. And I get to say that not because I'm against it, but because I recognize I have got to, I've got to see, acknowledge, point at the brokenness in myself and in my own leanings before I start to point out or hurl insults at others? Are we willing to be a Christian first and then a Republican? A Christian first and then a Democrat? A Christian first and then an American? What would your friends or neighbors or social media followers say about you if we asked them that question? Jesus talked about this issue of division uh, and John records uh, a lot of this, and, and we've read this passage before, and this passage is a difficult and powerful passage all the time. I've talked about it before. It may not feel totally different to you, but I want us to think through this in light of what has been happening and what will happen over the next few days. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying, and it's interesting because uh, Jesus has a prayer request. Um, I don't know if any of you guys grew up in church or in youth group, and they would always ask, like, does anybody have a prayer request? And there would always be kids, like, I've got a prayer request. And in the church I grew up in, all these kids would always like, I've got an unspoken. Anybody ever, anybody remember unspokens? Just me? Great. Uh, Jesus has a prayer request, and it's fascinating and so important for us to 
take note of it. It says, after saying all of these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. AKA, I want you to shine through me so that I can point people to you. I want you to shine through me so that people will see you in all of your goodness. In verse 11, he says, now I'm departing from the world, but they, talking about the disciples, they are staying in this world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Protect them so that they will be united just as we are. Protect them not so that they are safe and healthy or wealthy or important or whatever. Protect them so that they will be united just as we are. I'm praying not only for these disciples, the 11 that were still there in that moment. I'm not praying just for them. But then he says, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus is praying for you. And he's not just praying for you. It's his prayer request to his heavenly father on your behalf. He's saying, God, I'm praying for all of them. I'm praying for Chris Kretzu on November 1st. As he's standing on a stage, he believes in you because he has heard the good news. He's praying for every single one of us, praying for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the right political candidate will get elected. No. So that they don't lose any of their privileges or their rights. No. So that they are able to accomplish political power moves. No. May they be in us. May they be united so that the world will believe you sent me. The entire purpose of our unity is to show non-Christians, to show people that don't understand who God is or whether or not God is real, the entire purpose of our unity is circled around our ability to prove that there is a God and it is believable because there is no other way in which people could possibly be unified like this. You know what? If they can love each other, there must be a God. If they can agree, if they can come together, if they can sit at a table together without shouting at each other, then there must be a God. If they can act like this, because they could not be more different. If they can figure it out, if they can come together, if they can, one of them wear a mask and one of them not wear a mask and one of them vote for a Republican and the other one for a Democrat, if, if whatever it is, if they can figure it out, I'm in. I'm into whatever that looks like. Because all I fear is ang- all I feel is anger and hatred and vitriol and and attacking and people trying to maneuver into different positions. But Jesus' prayer request to God for us is that we would be united. He prays for unity. And it would have sounded just as far fetched then as it does now. 
See, Jesus, when he was there with the disciples, it was, you know, they didn't get everything right. We've talked about that a lot. The disciples had a lot of flaws and a lot of their kind of like thick-headedness. You know, they had some issues. But whenever there was a disagreement or a misunderstanding, Jesus was there. He's like, well, let's ask him. You think that way? I think this way? Let's ask him. And Jesus recognizes, I will be leaving, so please, God, would you let them be unified? Would you help them love each other, become one as you and I are one, because they are going to have to fight for this themselves. They are going to have to lean into this for themselves. In the first century, Jesus would be talking about Jews and Gentiles, which could not be more opposed to each other. He would have been talking about the Romans who were uh, occupying Israel at this time. He would have been talking about the Samaritans. He would have been talking about men and women, slaves and free, soldiers and civilians, rich and poor, educated and illiterate. Jesus would have been saying, would you help them to be unified, which would have been insane at that time to think that they could be unified that they could be one the same way that the Father and the Son are one, that does, that's not possible. And today that means upper class and middle class and black and white and single and married and privileged and underprivileged and gay and straight and Republican and Democrat and everywhere else in between. And let them be one as you and I, Father, are one. It also feels unlikely. It feels highly unlikely. It feels maybe even impossible. We look at this prayer and it's like, man, I don't know how that is even remotely possible. And here's the thing, this kind of unity, it isn't natural. It's supernatural, which is why Jesus prays for it. Because if we could just do it on our own, we wouldn't need to pray about it. If we could just be unified, then we wouldn't have to bring God into the thing. The whole idea of what he is looking for, unity, it is possible, but it will not happen unless we are intentional about leaning in, about praying for it, requesting it. And Jesus's hope is that we would be intentional, that we would make it a priority. He didn't just pray it once. He taught on it constantly. And all throughout the scriptures, Paul in the New Testament, he wrote over and over and over again about this same thing because people were so divided and it broke his heart the same way it would break God's. In Jesus, uh, John 13, Jesus is teaching and he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another, aka I want you to love one another. You don't get to choose what that love looks like. Here's what it looks like. The same way that I've loved you that's how you love one another. It's not like not attacking someone. It's not just being kind in passing at the grocery store. It's not just allowing someone to say what they think. It is a specific model that Jesus gave us for loving each other. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He is speaking directly to Jesus' followers, and he's giving a command, not a suggestion. Later on, he, 
He is praying that God would help them be unified. He is praying that God would bring about this sense of love and unity. But in this passage, he is commanding us, this is your job. This is the new command I'm giving you. Love each other as I have loved you. These things pack a punch. But when you start to process who he was talking to at this time, it's interesting. Look quickly at the 12 disciples specifically who Jesus would have been teaching here. They had different political, geographical, and socioeconomical backgrounds. And you guys, I'm sure, have all done your research on the 12 disciples, and so this isn't new to you guys. Uh, James and John were brothers. Uh, Their father was a wealthy owner of a fishing conglomerate. Matthew was a tax collector who worked for the Roman government. His brother, James, was a zealot. The Zealots were a political party that was aimed at overthrowing Rome. So Matthew is a tax collector for Rome, and his brother is part of a political movement that wants to overthrow Rome. Thanksgiving was probably awkward for them too. Um, Matthew and James were from the same family. They had opposing political views, but they were both devoted followers of Jesus. Philip was a liberal Jew whose Greek-leaning offended all of the conservative traditional uh, Jews. Bartholomew was an upper-class urban progressive who had always felt out of place in fishing villages. And Judas was named after a Jewish political hero. He was named after someone who was a hero for their politics. All that they had in common was Jesus. That was it. And Jesus didn't get involved in trying to get them to agree on societal things or anything like that. He said, hey, here's what you need to move at. Love each other as I have loved you. And if you can get this right, if you can love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself, if if you can get these things right, then the rest will sort itself out. But this is what you've got to focus on. This is the thing that you've got to move at. Why would Jesus intentionally recruit such a different group of people if he wanted them to be the same. Personally, I don't think he did want them to be the same. I think that Jesus was okay with their differences, and I think that he needed their differences to show that there is a God that has a love that is so powerful it can overcome even the greatest divisive differences and battles and fights. There is a love that can change things. And that is why before he goes to the cross, his primary prayer is, God, would you make them one? Here's the reality for us. I'm going to wrap up in just a, a minute here. Your candidate will lose or win based on how people vote on Tuesday. But the church of Christ will lose or win based on how we love each other every day leading up to Tuesday and every day after Tuesday. The church will not fail, but it will lose or win based on how we love each other. And everybody is watching. The church is not beautiful right now. The church is not a beautiful place right now. Everyone is watching and wondering what the hell is going on in there. 
what we are a part of is something that lasts so much longer than four years. What we are a part of is something that is so much more important than just this country. And I'm not saying that this isn't important, and I'm not saying that four years isn't important. I'm saying that I want us to understand that we are a part of something so much more. We are called to focus on that. So a question that was posed to me this week, which was painful, is how often have you prayed for the thing that Jesus spent his final hours praying for? Unity. How often has that been your prayer? Because I'll tell you how often it's been mine. Almost none. This is what Jesus spent some of his final hours praying for. And it hasn't even crossed our mind for most of our lives, and especially over the last few months. This is what we are called to focus on and pursue. What if we decided to prioritize what Jesus prayed for over what our party stands for? And I get that that feels scary because in some ways it feels like we're letting go of control. But I hate to break it to you. You have very little control. But do you know who does? Our Heavenly Father. A new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. There's a hymn. I know we don't do hymns very much here. Um, I grew up in a church that sang a lot of hymns. Some of you guys may have. Some of you guys may have grown up in a church that sang hymns, and that's why you don't like hymns anymore. Uh, And then some of you may be like, yeah, I kind of like them. But there's one, and it wasn't even very common in the church that I grew up in. I heard it when I was in my kind of early 20s. And it is just one of the most beautiful verses. And obviously it was written a long time ago, so the language is a bit different. But it says this. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. This is what we're called to. That depth of love, that immensity of love, this is what we are charged with. This is what we are invited to lean into and say, this is how I'm going to move forward. I'm going to move forward, one, as Jesus and the Father are one, the only way to show otherworldly, God-level love to another person is to recognize the depths of God's love for you and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for you and for I. When we begin to grasp the depth of that love, we begin to recognize that all we can do is extend that to others because it's been shown to us. 
There is never a time when it's more clearly shown or displayed than when we come together as a community to take communion. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.